When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think about the immigration system like a machine. It's a machine that's been built by many different people over a long period of time. It's old, it's creaky, but it's ours. The machine is built to sort people, decide who can come into the country, and then who can stay. It's got levers, it's got buttons. Pull this one, and the Border Patrol can bounce out someone who crossed over illegally. Press another one, and an asylum officer or an ICE agent might send you away. And in many ways, what the current administration has been doing is it's been pulling all of these different levers at once. Jonathan Blitzer covers immigration for The New Yorker. He says for a long time, there's been the problem of the machinery itself, how rusty it is, how overheated. You know, there are all of these, there are all of these different things, and this is a problem that has not been addressed. I mean, this problem obviously predates Trump. But he's playing on this problem and in many ways making it much worse. Well, because that's part of the idea, right? The idea is if you make it worse, if you make asylum look not appealing, maybe people just won't come. Well, that's that's certainly the thinking. And, and in that, the Trump administration isn't alone in being obsessed with this idea of deterrence. Deterrence is a nice sounding way of talking about how the machinery works, sometimes by force sometimes by fear, sometimes by detention. I mean, that has been kind of one of the defining aspects of American immigration policy for a long time, that if you treat people harshly enough at the border, and if you prove that you're going to be aggressive enough as a government in arresting and deporting people who are here unlawfully, that the message somehow will be sent to people not to come. Um, That's never borne out. When Jonathan said this, that deterrence isn't very effective, it made me stop and think, really? I have one question about something you said a little while back, which is you said, this never works. When you try to scare people away from immigrating, it just doesn't work, and we know that. And I'm wondering how you know that. I'm glad you asked it like that, because this is is obviously like a sort of central tenet of U.S. immigration policy, this idea of deterrence. And so there's, you know, there's academic, sociological, journalistic research on that subject. There's the fact of just the sheer numbers of people who continue to come, despite the fact that enforcement policies have gotten increasingly aggressive over the years. But but to answer, I think, most directly and powerfully, there's a specific person who comes to mind. He's a young man I met in, in the Western Highlands of Guatemala. This is several months ago. Here's the situation. He, in 2014, leaves the Western Highlands of Guatemala and travels to the U.S. Um, there's no work. His family's hungry. He feels desperate. Can't think of anything else to do. He's, he's traveled all over Guatemala looking for work. He's tried different jobs. He's worked in the fields. He's, he's done construction jobs. He's slept at construction sites. Uh, he, he's, he tried everything. In Guatemala, this isn't that uncommon. Most salaries can't meet a family's basic needs. Half of all kids there are undernourished. And at a certain point, he leaves. And to leave, he has to pay a smuggler to help him make this trip. And that's expensive. And that's 
specifically money he doesn't have. And so, so this guy, he borrows against his family's land to travel to the United States, uses it as collateral. So he has a hellish trip to the U.S. The smuggler kind of bails on him. The person he was traveling with ends up dying in his arms. He gets to the U.S. border, ends up kind of wandering across the border, getting arrested by Border Patrol, detained for a brief period, and then deported back to Guatemala. Jonathan says if deterrence worked, this would be where his story ends. Instead, over the next few years, things didn't get better. And this guy, he couldn't repay his debt from that trip north. Eventually, he borrows more money. This time he puts his home up as collateral. Decides to make the journey again. That's the cycle of stuff you see. And so you actually have this kind of paradoxical effect that the harder it is to get into the U.S., the more desperate he is, to, this, this young man is, to get there. The harder it is to get there, the greater the stakes for him. And the more it's, you just watch this circle play out over and over. So you're saying you know that deterrence doesn't work because even when it's very visceral and very personal, people are still coming. That's right. According to Jonathan, what's remarkable about what's happened over the last week is that it's become clear just how hard the Trump administration is going to dig in on deterrence. Because now that they've tinkered with the machinery of immigration in our own country, they're trying to tinker with the machinery of immigration in other countries, too. I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The way I think about the Trump administration's moves on immigration this week, it's like this. For the last couple of years, showing up at the U.S. border and requesting asylum has gotten more and more uncomfortable in a bunch of ways. We've detained migrants. We've made asylum interviews much more difficult to get through. But now, it's as if the administration is asking, what if these migrants never showed up on our border in the first place? This new approach, it started with a return to Mexico policy, the one that sends immigrants back to Mexico to wait for their asylum hearings here in the U.S. And now, the Trump administration is asking, could those migrants stay there in Mexico or even in Guatemala. So from day one, the Trump administration has kind of fantasized about this policy called a safe third country agreement. And what that means is that when someone shows up at the U.S. border seeking asylum, the U.S. government under this sort of policy could say, look, you had a chance to apply for asylum. You had that chance in Mexico. And so we can't help you. If you show up at our border, we can simply send you back to Mexico and say, look, they have a functioning asylum system. Put your claim in there. And we have this agreement with Canada, so it's not coming out of nowhere. It's not coming out of nowhere. Like a lot of things in the Trump administration, it's like this kind of weird, wonky stuff that you never 
in your life thought you'd be talking about in such depth suddenly is dusted off and 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 is now kind of like retooled for a much darker purpose. Um, that's true. We have such an agreement with Canada. It was signed in 2002. Uh, it is actually now, interestingly, uh, under challenge, legal challenge in Canada because of all of the U.S.'s policies. So now there are people in Canada saying the U.S. asylum system isn't safe and secure. And for that reason, we should reevaluate our agreement with the U.S., but the argument always against a safe third country agreement with a country like Mexico, for instance, is they do not have a functional asylum system. Um, so people will not be able to meaningfully seek asylum there. It's an extremely dangerous country. The Mexican government can't guarantee the protection of any migrants passing through that country, especially Central American migrants. And so what everyone has always said from the start is this is a deeply sort of bad faith negotiation to simply outsource U.S. asylum responsibilities, one country south to Mexico. Well, what's interesting, you're saying, first of all, that these countries don't fit the definition of a safe third exactly, country. Exactly. But then also with a country like Guatemala, a lot of the people coming to the U.S. are coming from Guatemala. So the idea of saying to Guatemala, you're a safe third country, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It's astonishing that a safe third country agreement with Mexico would even be under consideration. It's even more astonishing now to know that the same sort of agreement this administration had in mind with Guatemala. It's 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 so it's it's done so deeply in bad faith that it's I mean they're, they're, it's astonishing. You reported on the fact that this agreement had gotten pretty far and then it it sort of fell apart. Tell tell me a little bit what happened on Sunday. So late last week I got a draft of the agreement that the U.S. and Guatemala were expected to sign. And the agreement actually, at least the draft that I saw, went even farther than a traditional safe third country agreement. It was a real, it was an amazing giveaway from the Guatemalan government. Basically, what this document revealed was, in theory, the U.S. could send back to Guatemala not only migrants who traveled through Guatemala, but pretty much anyone who showed up at the U.S. southern border seeking asylum. So I'm from Africa or I'm from Haiti and I could end up in Guatemala. In theory. In theory, that's what was contemplated in this document. And I think you said someone looked at it and said it looks like the intern wrote it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I have to say a big source of concern reporting on it was, am, am, I, am I misunderstanding this? The scope seems so expansive that it, it seemed like there had to be a catch. Now, the catch, as we now know, came in the form of a second memo, which specified that the administration primarily was interested in Central Americans. That said, this language was still in the document as of late last week. And the plan was for the Guatemalan government and the U.S. to sign this agreement on Monday. This plan fell apart over the weekend. Everyone in Guatemala hated it, from business people to Congress. Eventually, Guatemala's highest court actually blocked the president from negotiating with Trump, which begs the question, why did that president, his name is Jimmy Morales, want to sign on in the first place? It's not clear to me that someone like Jimmy Morales, the current president of Guatemala, even really understood what it was his government was on the verge of signing. You know, we're talking about pretty wonky, pretty intricate deals that have not really been on the table before. These safe third country agreements, there's they have a lot of moving pieces. My understanding was that really right up until the moment at which this was supposed to be signed, the president of Guatemala did not think that it was technically a safe third country agreement. Now, th whether or not that's just wishful thinking or cynicism or ignorance or a combination of all of those things, I, I couldn't say. But I do think 
that a lot of these leaders in the region are kind of spun around by all of the things the Trump administration is pressuring them to do. Um, you know, they're doing this also under the general threat of financial penalties. So the U.S. has already cut aid. Uh, I should say economic penalties. The U.S. has already cut aid to the region. The Mexican government had to deal with the threat of tariffs on all of their goods if they weren't more aggressive in immigration enforcement last month. You know, these are these are real threats to these to these countries. And so no one's making good decisions because they're kind of scared. Absolutely. I mean, people are scared. People are confused and people are self-interested. Turns out one of those self-interested parties is the president of Guatemala himself. Well, the president has a complex political situation on his hands. He has six months left in office. His family, he and his family have been under investigation for financial improprieties. They've been under investigation by an internationally backed, a U.N. backed and U.S. funded body, anti-corruption body that this president has systematically dismantled and that over the last two years, the U.S. has acquiesced to his dismantling. And he is trying to essentially negotiate his political future for when he leaves office. And so next month in Guatemala, there is a runoff in the presidential election. It's unclear what will happen in that runoff. The two candidates who are up for this particular election, who are in the runoff, both of them are opposed to a safe third country agreement, but neither of them has a clear majority going into the runoff in mid-August. And so people have been speculating that the current president of Guatemala, Jimmy Morales, is trying to ingratiate himself with the U.S. government in some way because his political future is so uncertain, because the outcome of next month's runoff elections are so uncertain. And so... There's the idea that he was just kind of freelancing here and that he was trying his best to get close to the U.S., to be seen, you know, at the White House, to be engaged in these negotiations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like what you're saying is when you're being investigated by U.S. funded U.N. group, it might behoove you to make friends with Trump. Well, and he's been he's been doing a good job of it. You know, one of the things that the president of Guatemala did to ingratiate himself with the Trump administration was to move Guatemala's embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem after the U.S. government did it last year. The idea was that they're trying to show that they'll do whatever the Trump administration wants. But what the Trump administration wants is for Guatemala to sign this safe third country agreement, the one their constitutional court has ruled against. So this week, the Trump administration tried something else kind of end run around Mexico and Guatemala's governments. They declared that migrants seeking asylum along the southern border will now need to prove that they've already sought asylum elsewhere before trying to get into the United States. And it's actually when you think about the fact that the U.S. is currently in negotiations with Guatemala, with Mexico, over some version of this safe third country type arrangement, And that simultaneously to all of those negotiations, the U.S. government is also drafting a regulation that would unilaterally send all of these asylum seekers back to the region. I mean, it's it's obviously an incredible attack on asylum on its own, but it's also um, it's a real stab in the back to a lot of to to these governments who are in the midst of these negotiations with the Trump administration. Right. Like, hey, we thought we were in good faith negotiations here, but actually apparently not. Exactly. And and the reason it's in, in some maybe perverse ways, it's helpful that these things have all happened in such quick succession is that you really see what the administration is trying to do. You see what the obsession is. The obsession is with trying to close the door on asylum at the U.S. southern border and shift that responsibility to countries in the region. That's been the obsession all along. 
That's what all of these negotiations are about. That's what the U.S. government has been trying to do with Mexico. It's obviously what the U.S. government is trying to do with Guatemala. And then when this regulation comes out, which has already been challenged in federal court, and we'll see what the outcome of that legal challenge is, the administration is trying to basically say, sorry, we can't process any asylum claims anymore. People have the responsibility to, to, to seek asylum in countries along the route to the U.S., but not in the U.S. So you're seeing versions of this of this obsession playing out. The word that comes to mind listening to you talk about all this and give us the backstory is chaos. And not just chaos, but chaos that seems contagious. Chaos within the Trump administration that then is catching in Guatemala, which has its own issues and its own chaos going on. But it's striking how similar the process there is where you have a president trying to do something and, you know, their their court sort of stepping in and saying, no, you can't. That's just like what's happening in, in the United States. It feels like America has a cold and now all of a sudden Mexico and Guatemala might be catching it as well. You know, it's interesting. Um, last month when Trump threatened to impose tariffs on Mexican goods if the Mexican government didn't more didn't do more to stop immigration flows to the U.S. It obviously scared the hell out of the Mexican government, and it got all of this attention. But actually, the idea of the U.S. pressuring the Mexican government to increase its enforcement in Mexico to prevent people from reaching the U.S., that's something the U.S. government has done before. The Obama administration did that in 2014. But and this is, to your, this is to your question of like the U.S. kind of catching a cold and then the whole region getting a fever. Um, in 2014, when the Obama administration pressured the government of Mexico, whose president was different at the time, to increase enforcement, it was done much more discreetly. It was done in a kind of more mutual way with more coordination and more calibration. And the idea at one point was that the Mexican foreign minister said to the members of the Obama administration, look, we'll do this, but do us a favor. Don't broadcast the fact that we're doing this for you. And there was a kind of mutual understanding that, okay, you know, we there are things that we want from the U.S. We can help ourselves by helping the U.S. That, that was kind of the, the thinking. Now you just have an administration that blows everything up that, that's in its way. And the result is this kind of chaos. You know, when we started talking, you told the story of an immigrant from Guatemala and how hard he tried to get into the United States and sort of what motivated him. And you talked about it as evidence that, you know, deterrence just doesn't work because the incentives are too great to come to the U.S. And the situation in these Northern Triangle countries is too grave. And I think you're right. But I also think listening to you, Deterrence has never looked like this. And I wonder if we can even I wonder if we can still say that deterrence doesn't work. There's a randomness to how it works. It's just such a kind of mishmash of policies and and of and of things designed to scare, to intimidate, to to inflict pain on people that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, people just suffer more. Jonathan Blitzer, thank you so much for talking to me. No, thanks for having me. Jonathan Blitzer is a staff writer for The New Yorker. All right, that is the show. We are produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Look for me during the day on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. 
Also, I am here to tell you that you should really be listening to my friend Mike Pesca's show, The Gist. The Gist comes out every day, same as us. Today, he is talking to former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy. She's going to spill all the tea on how the Environmental Protection Agency is doing under Trump. Not great, it turns out. Go check it out. All right, till tomorrow, I'm Mary Harris. Have a great day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.